joining me in the studio like I did promise and don't hesitate if you have a question for Dr Robin Cook, astrophysicist, a beautiful opportunity to sort of get into his thinking and explanation on things uh, that sound a little complicated to us but certainly not to him. Research associate with, uh, associate with uh, UWA. And he joins me. Robin, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Uh, I love having you come in because we're all intrigued with what's going on out there. We've mentioned that before, of course. And just before we've got, we've got a call coming through already. But your role at UWA is exactly doing what? So I'm a research associate and uh, my main focus is I study galaxies. I study how galaxies uh, live, how they die and how they evolve all all over time. What a great thing to do. It's good fun, I tell you. What about women? Yeah, so today it's International Women's Day, of course, Um, and I think there's a lot of key figures in in astronomy that we we often forget, and I think today's a great time to to kind of recognise these people. So some that come to mind are uh, Jocelyn Bell, the discoverer of pulsars, these are these sort of black hole-like objects, we can talk a little bit about that later, Henrietta, Swan-Levet, Vera Rubin, these are all, you know, amazing astrophysicists that had such a great impact on on astronomy as a whole and and sometimes we forget that you know Mm. well they get recognized but we just take it for granted now where once it possibly wasn't the norm that's right that's what we were saying Mm -hmm. earlier now i'll tell you what we do we'll take this call so we won't keep our gentleman waiting ian good afternoon to you good afternoon jenny yes ian hi hi um i've just got a question regarding um the 11-year solar cycle that we uh, find ourselves in right now. Um, I'm chairman of a renewable energy association known as Sustainable Energy Now. We are concerned with uh, decarbonisation of the electricity system. But in particular, we also keep an eye on system security. And these coronal mass ejections um, are a concern, but I don't know that we we have enough provision for securing our system against the possibility of an inbound event such as happened in 1859 with the Carrington uh, event, which you no doubt would be well familiar. Uh, Would you like to give us an opinion on um, how we may uh, address this and uh, the the possibility that um, our utilities, uh, people like Western Power, be aware aware that um, the possibility of, say, large transformers being wiped out en masse by these millions of volts that would come down into the system and... uh, be catastrophic. Could you could you give yeah. us some overview on that? You raise a good point. You know, these coronal mass ejections, you know, uh, s- sort of occur in the different cycles of the of the sun, and they spew out huge amounts of radiation. And sometimes they're quite you know worrisome because they can be directed towards the Earth. The the real problem, and, and it is a concern because you, it's it's hard to predict these things. We know that the Earth, uh, the sun goes through these eleven year cycles, but we don't know when these these cosmic um, mass ejections coronal mass ejections are going to uh, occur. So it's really hard to keep track of, but there are lots of facilities, lots of telescopes that are constantly tracking the sun and, and waiting for these events to happen. And you do have a delay time, so you have an ability to to know when these things are occurring. Now, the question is, are we quick enough uh, you know, in our systems here on Earth to develop the, the correct kind of um, protective measures against that? I'm not sure. Um, that's definitely something that needs to be thought about. You know, These things are happening more regularly, uh, and, and Goodness. potentially quite dangerous. Mm. Yeah. Good, good question. Very good question. Well, I didn't understand a word of it, but by <laughs> gee, I was impressed. Well, you know, one of the one of the concerns is, of course, that these large three thirty kV and one three two kV transformers are, um, you know, incredibly uh, bad for long lead time. They are typically a one year lead time if you order one uh, on its own. If you had to order three hundred for the West Australian grid. Um, we might lose our whole utility grid, you know, the whole large-scale, you know, utility-scale uh, transmission. Well, that's right. For, yeah. you know, an extended amount of time, they wouldn't have the spare transformers to take it. And uh, 
we'd have 12 hours' notice of an inbound event. So people yourselves may be able to assist with that come to our organisation and uh, put on an event uh, mm. with us. What do you say? What do you think Ian should do more about this? Well, I think it's something we need to kind of start discussing at the higher levels, you know, the, the sort of technology, technology sector and start thinking about what's um, available and what can be done. Yeah, okay. Look, Ian, sorry about the phone breaking up a wee bit there from our end. I do apologise. We're looking into that at the moment. <laughs> it wasn't interfering for, uh, interference from outer space. Good <laughs> luck and thank you very much indeed for calling. Gee, that was an interesting question. Mm. I can't quite grip what it was about. It kept me on my toes. It's, it's the sun giving off lots of energy and this happens over sort of an 11-year cycle. So it can be concerning. Um, but I tell you a story. We, we used to point telescopes at the sun at kind of school events and uh, five years ago, we'd look at the sun and, I'd, I'd, you know, kids would be really underwhelmed because there'd be no spots there. The, you know, it's this ball of fire that doesn't really look like anything. But nowadays, we're, kind of, we're getting into that cycle. The sun's got black spots and it's got flares and now the kids are really interesting again. You know, so Why it, has that so happened? It's, it's just a, it's a puffing and a contraction of the sun that happens okay. over this 11-year cycle. And so you get these kind of events occurring in... in, in, in Does that have any effect on anything in particular? Well, these, these cos- um, coronal mass ejections that, that Ian mentioned, the, these are what we would be considered uh, concerning because these are big bouts of energy being sent towards Earth or potentially towards Earth. And it can be damaging. Yeah, it can affect electromagnetic kind of systems, so anything that's dealing with electricity or... Oh, right. So there is concerns about it. Now, we haven't registered any kind of shutting off the grid type scale uh, events, but, but, you know, these are always a thing that we're... So every, every 11 years, people are aware of this. Yeah, exactly. And we could have some effect from it. Mm-hmm, okay. All right. Well, we'll have to go. Okay. Well, <laughs> today you're going to talk about the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander astronomy. That's really quite intriguing. Mm-hmm. But I heard on the news this week that there is a little bit of space junk, if I dare call it that, heading its way to the moon at a fairly fast rate. Yes, it is. It's, a, a, you know, part of a, a piece of a, a rocket essentially that's that's kind of flung off and it's on its way to the moon it's heading very quickly there it's 8,500 kilometers an hour that's That's pretty fast now this is broken away because there's been a problem or is this a normal term of events this is probably part of a jettison event so rockets come in pieces and and of course at some point you've got to drop off the heavy parts and and uh you know jettison those pieces and when these things happen up in you know the higher parts of the atmosphere in the in space essentially uh there's no necessary um, prediction as to where they're going to go because you're already up in space. And so this one has just um, been flung away from everything else and in this case it happens to be that the moon is uh, in its direct course. So we're looking at a large piece of metal heading that way, 10,000 right. kilometres an hour. What sort of effect do you think it'll have on the surface? Well we think for sure it's going to create a quite large crater, right? And that's already a quite an interesting thing. We haven't seen craters hitting the, the moon very recently. It's an unnatural formation really, indeed, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. And something going this quick and, and is quite large will make quite a significant Wow. Um, uh, impact and, and actually a lot of telescopes will be pointing at this and, and trying to get a good shot of it. I think it'll be quite a fascinating sort of uh, show. Do for we those. know where it is at this stage? Is it uh, close? I'm not sure on the trajectory where it's heading yeah. and when it'll hit, but uh, I'm sure a lot of people are keeping a good eye so on it. So if we've got a lot of spacecraft up there these days, which mm-hmm. we do and probably a lot more in the future, what about the environment up there? <laughs> You've got space junk flying everywhere. That's right. It's becoming a more and more crowded uh, environment uh, with every day. You know, we keep putting up satellites, keep putting up rockets, and, and this is really for, you know, GPS systems and internet connection, And you know, but the numbers are going up into the tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands in the next decade. So when we have aircraft, of course, we've got air ca- traffic control. <laughs> when you've got everything up there flying around... 
how do we have control of those items? Well, at the moment, they are all controlled, and, and there's various organisations that are yeah. from Earth, uh, from ground, are monitoring all of these. The real concern is when you have a cascade event, so any one of these you know, satellites colliding with another one, That's what I was the wondering. pieces will break off and those pieces will hit other satellites, and et cetera, et cetera. And the, these cascade events are what we're really concerned about. Well, we have to start planning, surely, Naturally. because, it, yes, um, if only have, they only have a time, um, a lifespan. That's right. So something will have to happen. They can't bring them back to Earth, obviously, in well, a safe do, way. They do, actually. They do bring them down back to Earth. We, we actually... Um, and. They send them into the ocean, actually. This is oh, quite a surprising yes. fact for some people that um, these, these satellites that have reached the end of their lives, when we bring them down, they send them into, an, into the ocean. But they're sent to a very specific place in the ocean. And in fact, that place in the ocean is the furthest from any uh, city or landmass or populated area um, on Earth. So do people know where it is? Yes, they yes. go, do they? Um, very diving? rarely visited by boats, very rarely flown above for, for obvious reasons. And... Um, you know, the real concern is, what about the pollution? You know, the, of these, all these space stations and, yeah. and, and, and satellites that are being there. Now, of course, the collection of these things happens semi-regularly, but you have to wonder what's kind of being polluted into the ocean around that area. And, and this is something I think that needs to kind of be looked at a little bit further. Well, I should hope so. And understood. I mean, when you start getting people going up there and having holidays, which mm. is obviously the plan, um, and if they are up there with space junk flying around, it may well be a collision course. That's so right. I'm being very naive here, but down here, if they're operating, you know, the path of these mm. piece, pieces going around or satellites, whatever, they know what other traffic is up there and they avoid it like an aircraft would be? Exactly like an aircraft. Okay. Now, of course, the, the orbits are a bit more predictable than aircrafts because they're just on... Uh, circular orbits around the Earth and they're quite predictable as to where they are and the other thing is that you've got three dimensions you know not only are they you know left and right of each other but they're above and below yeah. each other so you have sort of a little bit more freedom for these things to orbit. Well let's hope you guys get it under control <laughs> that's all I can say. The other quick thing I was um, noticed in the news you've mentioned the black hole mm. on many we, everyone has we're sort of in awe of that and I believe it sort of takes things in it sucks things in but mm -hmm. it's, it's apparently something spat something out re recently. Yeah. What do you reckon happened there? Well, it's interesting because when we talk about black holes, the reason they're black is because they're so massive, so dense that not even light can escape them, right? They're pulling things in so with, with such is force. Is that like a magnetic... It's, it's purely gravity. So gravity, so much, such a strong gravitational force that not even light itself can escape, and that's why we call them a black hole. Now, the, the, the thing that we're hearing about here is something called the accretion disk. Now, this is where gas and material is falling uh, in a disk around the black hole, and then th there's so much energy surrounding this thing that it's just sending material uh, north and south of the black hole into these incredibly powerful jets. What would happen, I, once again, I'm totally naive <laughs> on this, but what would happen if we have uh, people in space and it got near the black hole? Oh, you've raised a very good question. Oh. Very good question. So... This is going to get very technical very quickly, but I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll start at the Some point. people know what you're talking about, right? Yes, okay. okay. <laughs> well, I hope everyone does. Black holes are very strange objects. They are so massive that they actually curve the, the fabric of space itself. And in doing that, they also slow down time. Now, that might have sounded a bit crazy, but the two are linked, space and time. We hear about this all the time. So if you curve space so dramatically, you also have to have an effect on time. And so if you were close to a black hole your watch would be ticking much slowly than someone on Earth. So and they wouldn't age. You wouldn't age, or you'd age much slower. And this raises a very interesting uh, uh, paradox that we think about. It's called the twin paradox. One twin stays on Earth and the other one gets sent towards a black hole. 
that, that, that twin that's near the black hole is ageing much more slowly. They come back to Earth after however many years and there's a significant difference in the age. Um, just can we, on, can we live on the edge of it? <laughs> well, I don't know if it'd be a very uh, no, hospitable place to live. But, okay, another, but indeed you could. another ridiculous question. Where is it? So this black hole is probably just another one of the many, many millions it's of black holes of that are out there. Out there in space, yep. this sort yep. of... This would be what's called a supermassive black hole. Now, there's obviously, with anything, there's, there's different types, and, and black holes come in all shapes and sizes. Oh, there's more than one. Oh, absolutely. There's millions of these things. Uh, in particular, one of the ones uh, that this is talking about are the, the massive black holes at the centres of galaxies. These are incredibly massive objects. Uh, and this is what's when you say massive. What do you say, how many kilometres wide do you think? Oh, it's it's beyond human scale. Really? Yeah. Well, actually, in in fact, Scary. you can't talk about size with black holes because they're infinitely <laughs> small. It's they're they they're so dense that they collapse in on themselves. There's no such thing as a space of black hole. It's Look, very I've said complex. before, we we cannot get into our human brain. Well, no, you we can can't. into a human brain infinity. That's right. We we can't cannot even understand that can we but we do try you, I know, <laughs> you do it for us won't you hello julian hello jenny how are you this Very afternoon well thank you please go ahead uh robin is it yes hello julian i have um so you were just talking about um the massive black holes in center of gravities mm-hmm. so what i can't get my head around like how i see it is one day that black hole in the center of our galaxy is gonna eat so much our galaxy up that it'll become so dense maybe become critical and that'll be a black hole event oh sorry uh, a big bang event uh so probably not a big bang event i mean the, the black holes while we where they're incredibly powerful and incredibly massive still don't even compare to the scale of the big bang right that was the entire oh, universe could, expansion yeah but it would take out maybe it could take out the galaxy though yeah and so so this supermassive black hole at the center of our our galaxy named super, uh, Sagittarius A star is probably not what we're concerned about. It's so far away, and and uh, you know we've got all this material in between us and the, and this black hole that that we're not worried. It's these other smaller black holes in in you know in our proximity that we might be more concerned about. What could happen? We haven't seen one that's gone like critical up, up past the black hole stage. So the black hole stage is really the death of a star. It's the, the, ultimately the final point. But I think what you're referring to is, is supernovas. This is the, the explosion of stars. And this yeah, so is what creates a black hole. Light. Yes, exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. And that's what so we're worried about. So how big can a black hole get then? Um, as big as entire galaxies. So we, we talk about our own galaxy, and it's got 100 billion stars in it. That's a big number for yeah. anyone. These black holes can be... <laughs> Pretty Unreal. much as big as those things at their at their at their largest, as big so as the entire galaxy. First, then, do you think it's likely first that the black holes heat everything, or that um, all the energy in the universe is depleted? Uh, probably the energy in the universe is depleted. This is called the the uh, the cold death of the universe. So everything oh, expands. Yeah. It's very grim. I know. <laughs> oh God, what else can we cope with? <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, you can anchor to something tomorrow. Don't worry about it. That's right. That's many billions of years away, so we don't need to worry too much. You've made us feel so much better, Julian. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling. Isn't it great how black holes get people's attention? Well, because we just don't get it. We mm. can't imagine it. That's oh, I know. And, well, hopefully you guys, you do know a lot more than us, don't you? <laughs> um, if you have a question, please don't hesitate to give us a quick call, 94841927. Now, you sent us some information, and this is interesting, and we do know that the early explorers, of course, used the universe to pl- map their voyage, didn't they, mm-hmm. by the stars, uh, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander astronomy. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, you know, the Indigenous people of Australia, we know are, you know, the oldest 
continuous culture on, in the world. And, and that's an incredible fact in itself. But I think what's more remarkable is along with that, you, you have the fact that that means that they're the oldest living astronomers in the world. The, these were the first astronomers of, of any humankind. And that's really incredible. I, I think we, we kind of often glaze over this fact that, you know, they were looking at the stars and they're appreciating that and creating stories that surrounded around the, the, the characters in, 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 in the skies. But what what's really fascinating about this is that astronomy needs to be useful. It needs to be a tool for yeah. it to be astronomy. It can't just be looking at stars and, and you know... Romanticising. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it was a tool for the, for the Indigenous Australians. What, what were they using the stars for? Right, so a lot of people know about songlines. These are these sort of invisible lines that, uh, you know, spread out through the uh, entire continent of Australia. And often the stars were linked to important landmarks on the Earth. And through the through the format of song, they would they would describe you know the safest route to get from point to point, or uh, maybe the right time of year for that to be the case. So so songlines are a really important way of navigating for the for the indigenous Australians. But then there was also things like calendars, right? Seasons. They needed to know when the right time of the year for was for weather. For uh, you know when was it the hot season? When was it the cool season? Animal behaviours. And one of the the great stories that comes out throughout the entire continent of Australia in terms of the indigenous cultures is the emu in the sky. And this is a really fascinating story. And often when we think about constellations, we think about from the Greek point of view, you know, Orion the Hunter and the Southern Cross and Scorpio. But they didn't use the stars as their constellations. They used the dark patches in the Milky Way, in our own galaxy. Okay. And that formed this emu in the sky. And it's really incredible. I've seen it only once in my life. You really need to be out there in the middle of nowhere with this no light pollution to, to see it. It's the shape of it. It's, the sh- it's absolutely the shape really? of, of an emu. I, I, it's un, un- <laughs> remarkable. It's, it, it's amazing. You, you can't miss it. Um, but, of course, you need to be out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. What's really fascinating about it, they, they knew that when, when this emu was rising on the horizon, that was the right time of year for emu eggs to be produced. I mean, that was an important food source for them, and they, they, they knew that was the case. And so they, they used the stars, they used these constellations as, a, as, a, as really as a tool to, to survive, and it was incredible. We're going to go to Stephen in a moment. Before we do, though, what effect have we got at the moment with the universe on our weather patterns? Because we're seeing some extremes, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you have to disentangle how much of that is the universe kind of playing its per part se, on us. yeah the sun, the earth, you know, it's natural cycles. And how much of it is just our own doing? You know, how much are we pumping into our atmospheres that are creating our own change uh, against what the, you know, the universe is presenting us with? So, um, yeah, the universe is always kind of putting an effect on us. We are sort of shielded on earth in some Mm -hmm. regards. And and we we talked about these coronal mass ejections, but the earth has its natural protection for that. We have a magnetic field around the earth. It's quite an incredible kind of shield that protects us from radiation. So, so, you know, our Earth, whilst it's getting a beating from the universe, it's, mm. it's got its it's got its defences up. In some Very interesting indeed. Good afternoon, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Um, hello, Jenny. Uh, just referring back to if the um, gentleman before, if the black hole collapses back in on itself to nothing, couldn't that possibly make a multiverse on the other side? It's quite possible. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where. It, you know, we can make a it's hypothesis. On the other side, we can't see it. Exactly. You know, this is the real problem with black <laughs> holes is because no I light did, escapes I them. I up the question. Yeah. Um, we don't know. We don't know what happens in the inside black holes, and that's because no light escapes it's them. And so no information gets out. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's the multiverse. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. No worries. 
Great. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Stephen. Sorry, just repeat that. Yeah, well, the, the multiverse idea is an interesting one. You know, are we the only universe out there? And I'm not just talking about, you know, the only galaxy out there, but within... Our universe has many trillions of galaxies, but is there another universe I out there? I didn't want to us? ask the obvious. I was <laughs> going to do that. Yeah. Because it is such a huge thing, the universe, yeah. isn't it? And, well, and why why we here on this world have we been able to do what we've done and self-destruct, might I add, at the same time? But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we, we talk about this idea of infinity, yeah. uh, but now we're talking about infinite infinities, and it, oh, my brain just goes... <laughs> well, we rely on you, let me tell you, to try and work it out for us. But, you know, you you do... I mean, the research and everything that's going on out there has taken quite a few decades mm. to get to the point that we have. So it's not been that fast. It doesn't seem that fast. No. But what sort of investigation or research are people doing on... And I don't talk life as in human form. You know, life as in vegetation or mm. some sort of animal or microbe or whatever. Do you, are they looking into things like that? Absolutely. So search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI, is a, is a huge area of research. Right? This is the idea of trying to find life on other planets. Can you define own. what you mean by that? Not so, the human form, but... So, yeah, extraterrestrial intelligence. So not just organisms, not just, you know, things that breathe and produce and uh, whatever, swallow oxygen and, and produce carbon dioxide, or actual intelligent life. So these are civilizations on other planets. And this is a, you know, we're, we're searching for planets around other stars, whether they have signals that could only be explained by, say, uh, transmissions from from radio waves or, or you know, certain events. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real field of, of, of interest at the moment. Well, the years we've had, uh, no, I know we're getting a bit silly here, it's like mm. Star Trek, but oh, UFO, fun, UFO sightings and that sort of thing, mm. but it, I always used to find it a little bit intriguing. If they landed in a crop somewhere in the farming <laughs> area, why didn't they come and say g'day? Yeah. Or be known to us? And but, You know, these UFO sightings have been going on f- forever, haven't they? they? I have a really fun idea on that. I, I like to think about like the, the ant idea. So when you see an ant on the road and you, you're walking by, what do, what do you do when you see that ant? Nothing. Nothing. Exactly. It's just an ant. You don't pay any mind to it. So the idea I like to think, if, if there was extraterrestrial intelligence out there which had the ability to move throughout space, that's a pretty advanced technology, mm-hmm. you know, we probably wouldn't look like much to them and we'd probably be ants and they would probably just kind of be on their <laughs> merry way. So you're su- suggesting that they're be much, uh, they're inferior, not inferior, superior to us? Well, you know... <laughs> That's one way to <laughs> Look what they're doing to themselves. Yeah, it's a very grounding way to think about ourselves. Look, you know, you know there's been portrayed so many different ways in movies mm-hmm. and books and things over the years, hasn't it? And it uh, I know going through um, Death Valley, I think it's around that way in America, there's the area that there's been many apparently UFO sightings, but I should imagine it's probably just the air force themselves testing stuff out good well-being there's lots of phenomena that we don't understand now your Mm. little chat with us today is going to be on our website curtain fm website it'll be put up in the next couple of days or so so there's a podcast if people want to have another listen and if you have any questions please put them up there and when you come in next time you can have a look at that as well is that okay absolutely sounds fun that was uh dr robin cook joining us astrophysicist